welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast. And thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode of the podcast, Dr. Varen Summers from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, will be discussing sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, and cardiovascular issues. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now let's hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Varen Summers from the Mayo Clinic. Good morning, Dr. Summers. Good morning, Dave. You know what? That's above my pay grade. So just tell us what you guys do, because it really is critically important for our listeners out there on the road, as you know. Sure. It's fairly straightforward. We look at people with sleep disorders and we track them over time to see if they develop certain cardiovascular or other diseases. We also bring in healthy young people or people with sleep disorders and we do various interventions. For example, we can bring in a group of healthy young people and randomize them to four hours of sleep a night for two weeks and then bring them in again and then just let them sleep normally look to see how the body changes, how much more they eat, what kind of foods they eat, and how does this affect their body fat. One quick example that's relevant to our discussion today is we recently published a paper showing that if you took healthy young people and sleep deprived them for two weeks compared to when they were not sleep deprived, they ate 300 more calories per day. The bothersome thing was that those calories would normally in a young person be deposited under the skin. That's where fat is normally deposited. It's the safe repository for fat, subcutaneous or under the skin. But what happened in these people who were lean and healthy was when you combined less sleep with high calories, that sleep went straight into the visceral or the intra-abdominal compartment, the fat inside the belly, which is really the dangerous fat, the kind of fat that's linked to blood vessel disease, heart disease, diabetes. So that's the kind of thing we do. We explore different ideas, hypotheses as to how sleep may be not just causing you to have disease, but also improving your health. It's interesting. And boy, I did not realize that. And that is pretty scary when you think about it. Because, And you said subcutaneous under the skin is a safe place to store fat. And it's so safe that they can actually suck it out. It's not really going to affect anything. So throughout my life and through most of our lives, we hear about the two-sided coin of healthy existence. Diet and exercise, exercise and diet, diet and exercise. There's a third leg to that stool that we forget about in that sleep. It's diet, sleep, exercise, sleep, exercise, diet. The sleep is the third, it's the trinity, right, in a sense. Yes. In fact, the American Heart Association just caught up with you, Dave, because they used to have something called Life Simple Sevens, seven important things to a healthy life. And about a month or two ago, they added sleep to that, and they now call it Life's Essential Eight. That diet and exercise, what's your blood pressure, what's your glucose, and then they've just only recently added sleep, which is a big deal to acknowledge the fact that sleep, which occupies a third of our lives, if you think about it, people ought to spend one third of their lives sleeping. And something that takes up that much time surely should be important. If we sleep, we're just going to miss out on too much. Fear of missing out, the FOMO, which is a real thing, and it affects kids quite a bit with TikTok under their pillow at night. Every time the phone dings, they wake up. So we are just almost purposefully ignoring and discounting sleep. That is a real challenge to kind of shift consciousness and shift society into looking at this, again, three-legged stool. We're doing pretty good on diet and exercise, right? At least awareness of it, if not practice, but the sleep, we're not getting it. 
Yeah, and it's very much a question of whether you want to enjoy the short term or the long term, because we do know that people who don't sleep enough tend to have a higher risk of heart disease and heart attacks, maybe even not live as long. But if you do invest in a healthy sleep habit, what we call sleep hygiene, then there's a good chance you will not just live a longer life, but live a healthier life. So you will have more time to enjoy all of these things. And you brought up an extremely important point, and that is kids and smartphones and social networks. And that's a big problem. If indeed short sleep or inadequate sleep is bad for you and does lead to higher blood pressures, higher risk of diabetes, higher risk of obesity, higher risk of general ill health, then the fact that kids nowadays are sleeping so much less than they used to is a warning of a potential epidemic of disease down the road. And that's something we need to be alert for. If sleep wasn't so critically important and if lack of sleep couldn't really hurt, damage, slash, kill us, then why is it used as torture, sleep deprivation? We should look at some of the obvious things, right? That's a great point. That's an absolutely important point. Yeah. And the thing to remember is nobody can force you to sleep. You can force yeah. someone to move. You can force them to exercise. You can force them to eat. But you cannot make somebody sleep. So if you sleep, it means you need sleep. And trucking has become so regimented now with electronic logging devices and knowing where every truck is at every moment. Drivers are really caged in quite a bit, so you don't have the freedom of movement out on the road that you had. I've been doing this for over 50 years, Dr. Summers, so that was then, and this is definitely now. There's a huge disconnect to the way the industry used to work. And sure, you always had guys who were overtired on the road and all of that, but now it's almost built into the system in terms of the regimentation mm -hmm. of trucking, which is really hard and put that round peg in a square hole sometimes. Yeah, there's always two sides to all of the new things that come along. Sometimes there's a balance there between the benefits and the downsides of everything that's the regulatory components. And I can't comment too much on that because I don't know much about it, to be honest. Oh, sure. It's a whole nother yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, we have our own regulatory world as well. No question about it. You got your bookshelf and so do the truckers, that's for sure. Let's kind of get down maybe to where the rubber meets the road just a little bit. It seems kind of obvious, I guess, that if you say have sleep apnea, you don't know it, of course. You have somebody has to tell you that you have it, and then you don't believe it, and then you get drugged into the test, and you get a CPAP that you're not going to use because you don't like the mask. So you go through all of that stuff. But what does sleep apnea actually do to hurt your heart? I was told that when you sleep, it's almost like taking your body into a shop to have it checked over. You do some systems check. And if there's a little repair that can be done, your body will take care of that, but it can only do it while you're sleeping. So if you don't sleep, you don't get your maintenance. Is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, I'll try and just go over some of the reasons why sleep is important. As you suggested, it's a fixing period. We develop new circuits in the brain, things that we learn in the daytime. We put into a consolidated long-term memory when we're sleeping. We do repair tissue, muscle tissue, repair if you exercise, for example. Sleep is a crucial time to allow your muscles to repair all those tears that we induce with exercise. Sleep is also a time where we produce hormones that are very important. And some of your listeners may identify with testosterone and growth hormone. Both of those are produced during sleep. So if you have a low testosterone, before taking exogenous or testosterone injected or taken however you take it, you probably want to try and improve your sleep quality first. 
and see if that brings up your testosterone levels. The other thing that happens during sleep we've learned recently is it's very much a cleaning process. So if you can imagine that as your brain works during the daytime, it's very active. The brain consumes a very large amount of energy, about 20% of the energy the body consumes at rest. The metabolism that goes on creates these waste products and much of that waste is washed out during sleep. If you think about New York, two in the morning, all these trucks come through and start washing the streets. Something similar happens in the brain. This whole system called the glymphatic system opens up when you're in deep sleep and washes out, in a sense, all of the waste products between the cells. So there's a cleansing process that also goes on. So many, many things are happening during sleep that are crucial to long-term physical and mental health. Disrupting the sleep or shortening it has significant effects as we're finding out over time. Well, this is a real wow moment for me, Dr. Summers. I've never heard anything explained like that before. I knew that sleep was reparative. You kind of checked off some of those things on that list. But I never really understood that our brains are like engines that produce exhaust. When you put it that way, I think that might have turned on some light bulbs over some heads because now it becomes more understandable, I guess, to a guy like me. It's to us too, because these are concepts that we learn as we go along. And it just comes out of trial and error and experiments and things like that. I have sleep apnea, use a CPAP machine. We talked very briefly during the news here. I'm not overweight, never have been. But the BMI thing, that down yeah. and dirty BMI, body mass index, when your numbers are uh -huh. too big, you might be too big. And now all of a sudden you are pegged as having sleep apnea. You got a big uh -huh. essay on your forehead. Not necessarily true, but where are we on the truth line on obesity, sleep apnea, sleep in general? It is true that if you're obese, you tend to have a higher risk of obstructive sleep apnea. And the kinds of obesity that predispose to apnea are a big belly or a thick, short neck. If your neck is thick and very muscular, then you're more likely to have apnea. If you open your mouth and say, ah, and the space at the back of your throat is narrower than most other people's, there's a good chance you have sleep apnea. But you could be lean, as you know, a BMI of 25 and have significant sleep apnea. So the real test is whether you snore what we say disruptively at night. Disruptively meaning you bother people around you. So if you have disruptive snoring where people say, I can't stand your snoring, I'm going to go into a different room or kick you to sleep on your side, then you probably have significant sleep apnea. The other thing is if your bed partner says, hey, I see you stop breathing at night for long periods at a time, then you probably have sleep apnea. If you're very sleepy during the daytime, there's again a good chance you have sleep apnea. And someone like you, where you're lean and you have apnea, then you also want to check your family members to see if they have apnea. But that's also true for the overweight or obese sleep apnea. Now, let me quickly touch on BMI, which is a sensitive issue and a very important issue that you brought up. Remember, body mass index is the mass of your body adjusted for your height. But body mass is not just fat, it's also muscle. So if you think of Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger in their prime, they had a very high body mass index because they had lots of muscle. That's not necessarily bad for you. BMI is a bad thing when the BMI is constituted by fat. You can tell if you have a very large belly, there's a good chance that a large component of your BMI is fat and you need to think seriously about improving your diet, your exercise, and maybe getting checked out for a sleep disorder. And you could check, it's very easy. Waist circumference is actually easier to measure than BMI. You just take a tape and you put it around your belly at the level of your belly button, and that'll tell you what your waist circumference is. 
is different levels are normal for men and women. That's a good sign of what we call central or abdominal obesity, which is really the dangerous kind of obesity. And it's interesting that waist circumference, such a simple measure with a tape, is far more predictive of cardiovascular risk than is BMI. Wow, isn't that something? Dr. Summers, let's kind of maybe zero in on the ultimate heart problem, and that would be a heart attack. We always hear about the left arm and things like that, chest pains. When I had my heart attack in 2014, I had nothing wrong with my arm. I was just fine. But right in the center of my chest, it felt like an elephant was standing there. So there are some signs that are preeminent, but are there some signs that kind of give you a hint that, hey, wait a minute, I don't need to go to the doctor right now, but I better start looking at this, are there some preliminary signs that you can start looking for? Does it just kind of catch you? Yeah, so definitely there are warning signs. And if there are warning signs, it's very important to pick up on these warning signs and get yourself checked out. A worsening shortness of breath on exertion. You climbed up the stairs a year ago, you were climbing up very quickly or didn't bother you too much. And now when you climb up the stairs, you're finding that you're more short of breath. You find that when you get to the top of the stairs, you're a bit lightheaded your heart's pounding really hard, changes like that that can be gradual but noticeable in terms of how it changes your quality of life. It's what we call reduced exercise tolerance. The other thing is we always think of chest pain with a heart attack, but what you had is a classic example. It's chest tightness, a chest pressure. It's like somebody yes. or something is standing on your chest. So if you have brief episodes of feelings like that, that's a warning sign that, okay, there may be something coming down the road that you want to be checked out for. The issue of pain in the arm, yes, that's a classic sign. Pain in the left arm, going up the shoulder, pain in the neck, and pain in the jaw. Sometimes all you get is a tightness in the neck or a pain in the jaw. In some cases, people have gone to the dentist for pain that actually was later found to be heart pain. So these are the warning signs. Sometimes you can get indigestion brief periods of indigestion that you never had before. If they are recurrent, they could also be a precursor for a heart attack. And just to add to the sleep apnea issue, if you wake up from sleep with chest pain, then you may have sleep apnea, and that sleep apnea may be causing your heart to be short of oxygen, causing you to have what we call angina or pain coming from the heart. And I want to emphasize one more thing that we are becoming increasingly sensitive to, and that is that we always think of heart attacks affecting men. No, women are also at very high risk for heart attacks depending on what their behavioral habits are, what their cholesterol levels are. I know more and more women are driving trucks, and they need to be just as cognizant of the risk of a heart attack and strokes as men are. Right, because you use the word classic in terms of the left arm and things like that, and the classic heart attack symptoms, those are always for men. Women have their own set of classic symptoms, and they're not the same as the men's, and that is really a very important distinction, isn't it? Correct. They're less typical. Wow. And this has been a less than typical conversation here this morning. Dr. Summers, thank you so much for being with us here. We really appreciate it. And when you see him, please give our best to Dr. Cole as well. I will give one quick point. Looking after yourself, getting your cholesterol checked, getting your blood pressure checked, getting sleep checked and treated. Yeah, it's an investment now, but it allows you to work longer down the road and work healthier, less medical expenses. So it actually is probably financially more rewarding to look after yourself than not to. And Dave, if I can ask every trucker to keep a copy of his or her ECG with them when they travel. So if they have chest pain, go to a clinic or an emergency room, 
they can have a comparison made. Wow, okay, fantastic. Dr. Varen Summers, thank you so much. Dr. Summers, of course, with the Mayo Clinic up in Rochester, Minnesota. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo, and let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health Podcast through our website, or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo.